Please turn in your Bibles this morning to the book of Philippians, chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, and I'll read verses 25 through 30. And Paul says here in verse 25, But I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and minister to my need, because he was longing for you, all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed he was sick to the point of death, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I have sent him all the more eagerly, in order that when you see him again, you may rejoice, and I may, have less con- I may be less concerned about you. Therefore, receive him in the Lord with all joy and hold men like him in high regard because he came close to the point, he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service. This letter was written to the Philippian church. Paul writes back in chapter 1 to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The city of Philippi was a Roman colony. It was located in a region called Macedonia, which was north of Greece. It was along the major east-west trade route called the Ignatia Way, which connected Rome in the west and Byzantium in the east. Paul planted the church in the city of Philippi. We have the record of it in Acts chapter 16. Paul saw that vision at night, the man standing before him and said, come over here to Macedonia. And Paul went over to Macedonia. The first place he came to was the city of Philippi. And there the church began with the remarkable conversion of the woman named Lydia. She was down by the river. At a prayer meeting, Paul went down and began to speak the gospel to the women there, and we read that the Lord opened the heart of Lydia to respond to the things spoken by Paul, and she came to believe in the gospel. And then there was a riot in the city. Paul was thrown in prison. There was a great earthquake that led to the conversion of the Philippian jailer, who said to Paul and to Silas, what must I do to be saved? And Paul said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you shall be saved. And so Lydia and the Philippian jailer, they were the two believers from which this church began in the city of Philippi. This morning we look at one member, a man in that church, his name was Epaphroditus. Luke does not tell us of his conversion in the book of Acts, but it changed his life, his character, and he was a member of this church in Philippi, Paul says at the end of verse 25 that he was one of their own. He says, who is your messenger? The messenger from the church in Philippi to him in Rome. The church in Philippi was a very faithful church to the Apostle Paul. 
It was a church that one man describes as small and poor, but helpful and generous. And the church had made numerous gifts for the support of the gospel, for the support of the apostle and for the advance of the gospel on previous occasions. For example, when Paul left Philippi and went down to Thessalonica, the Philippians were the only church that sent a gift to the apostle. And Paul writes of this in chapter 4 in verse 14 and 16 of this chapter. He says, you have done well to share with me in the matter of giving. And he says, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. They were the only church who did so. On another occasion, when Paul was down in Corinth, the Philippians supported him there in his work as well. And Paul mentions this in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He says, I robbed other churches, taking wages from them to serve you. And when I was present with you and was in need, I was not a burden to anyone. For when the brethren came from Macedonia, which would have meant from Philippi, they supplied fully my need. Then we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 when Paul was gathering a contribution from the Gentile churches and to send that gift down to the brethren in the city of Jerusalem, to the church there. That would have included the Philippian church. And Paul said in 2 Corinthians 8, he said, Now brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that in a great ordeal of affliction... Their abundance of joy and their deep poverty, they overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us, begging us with much entreaty for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. And not this, and not only this as we had expected, Not as we had expected, he says, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. So that was the kind of church that Epaphras came from there in Philippi. A people who were so thankful for the blessing of the gospel that had come to them. That they were eager to give freely out of their deep poverty and even beyond all of their ability. And they regarded it as a great favor to them. That they could participate in the gospel and the spread of the kingdom of God. They had given themselves to the Lord Jesus and to the apostle as well according to the will of God. The reason for this letter here was a contribution that the Philippians had made to the apostle Paul who was over in Rome. So this was the kind of people that Epaphroditus had fellowship with there in the church from the beginning of his Christian life. They were a people who had love for Christ, enthusiasm for the gospel, and for the things of God. It must have rubbed off on Epaphroditus, and we'll see that it did very much. And by the time Paul wrote this letter, it had been 14 years since he had planted the church there in Philippi. And over those 14 years... Whenever Epaphroditus had been converted, he was in the church and he matured as a humble, faithful servant of Christ. He grew in the context of the worship and the fellowship of the church as he heard the word of God. 
and followed the good example that was set for him by the other believers in the church. The occasion of this letter to the Philippians, or this, this letter of the, of, to the Philippian church, was that the Apostle Paul had been arrested and he was in prison over in the city of Rome. In those days, prisoners had to supply their own food and their own support while they were in their prison cell. If a prisoner did not have money, if he did not have friends to help and support him, he could literally die in the prison. And so when the Philippians heard that Paul was in prison, they took up a collection once again for his financial support and perhaps other needs, and they sent it by Epaphroditus, who had to journey over this 800-mile trip over from Philippi, over to Rome, over land, sea, a dangerous and very difficult journey of many weeks. When Epaphroditus arrived in Rome, he contracted a very serious illness which brought him to the very point of death. And the church back in Philippi, they heard of Epaphroditus' sickness and they became greatly distressed over him being sick. And Epaphroditus' response was that he became even more distressed because they were distressed that he was sick. But the Lord had mercy on him, and the Lord gave recovery and strength to Epaphroditus again. And Paul, knowing the distress of the Philippian church, in an effort to relieve their distress, he sent Epaphroditus back to them, and he sent them back him back with this letter. This was how the letter was written. Paul discusses the whole situation in the passage before us. This is the only passage in the Bible where we read of this man, Epaphroditus, and, and also in chapter 4, verse 18, which we'll look at later this afternoon. Now, Epaphroditus, he is not the man named Epaphras, who was from the city of Colossae, and Paul writes about him in the book of Colossians, not the same man, sometimes confused. We can entitle our sermon this morning, A Life Given Holy to God, because that's who Epaphroditus was. Paul says down in the end of verse 29 that he was a man who should be held in high regard, and we could call our message this morning by that title, that he was a man, here is a man who should be highly honored among the people of God. And so he is worthy of our attention in our time together today. And he is worthy of our attention, all of us, because Epaphroditus, as far as we know, he had no office in the church. He was not an apostle. And as far as we know, he was not an elder. We are not told that he was an elder or a deacon or he had any office in the church. From everything we know of him, he was a layman, as the word is used. He was an ordinary member of the church. And that's important because sometimes we look at an apostle and we say, well, he's an apostle. And so we really can't be expected to be like him. Or sometimes perhaps we look at someone we say, well, in the Bible, well, he's a pastor over in that church. We can't really be like him. We can't say that with Epaphroditus because Epaphroditus was a member, an ordinary member in the church. And so he is set before all of us as being one that we can and should follow as we follow Christ. 
In verse 25, we have five commendations, five titles that are given to this man, Epaphroditus. I don't think there's another man in the Bible that has five commendations given to him like this man. The first is Paul calls him my brother. There in the beginning of verse 25, he says, I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother. Now the name Epaphroditus was a Greek name. And this name Epaphroditus, it came from the name of an ancient pagan goddess, Aphrodite. And the name Epaphroditus means one who is blessed by Epaphroditus, the goddess of love. And it tells us that Epaphroditus was born into a pagan home and his parents gave him this name in honor of that false god. And so he grew up living among the worship of the false gods of the ancient Roman Empire. Paul, on the other hand, he was a Jew. He boasted in the one true and living God of Israel. He rejected the polytheism of the Romans and he believed in the one God of the Scripture. Paul describes himself in chapter 3 of this letter. He says he was circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel. He says he was of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee. And so Paul was a Jew who would have had this contempt upon Gentiles and their pagan idolatrous practices, especially a man who was named after one of the false gods, Epaphroditus, blessed of Aphrodite. No two people could have been more contrary to one another in their worldviews and outlooks. No two people more opposed to one another by their birth than Paul the Pharisee and Epaphroditus the pagan. Paul would have never imagined that he would ever call a man like Epaphroditus my brother. And yet this is what the gospel does. It breaks down barriers. It brings people together in peace and harmony who would otherwise have nothing in common with one another. The title, My Brother, is a term of very tender affection. It is a title of family intimacy and love because what this term does, my brother, is it brings another man into the closest relationship that can exist in that family of brothers and sisters. It speaks of the unbreakable bond that exists between those who are born into the same family. We are physically born into families where we have brothers and sisters in that earthly family. But Paul speaks here of a heavenly spiritual birth, born again by the Holy Spirit into the family of God. And that's true of all believers. We are born of God and brought into his family. We were born spiritually, yes, but we are born again by the Holy Spirit. And John writes of this in his first letter. He says, you were born of him. See how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God. And such 
we are. So here we have Paul the Pharisee and Epaphroditus, the pagan idolater, both of them believing in the same Savior, Jesus Christ, now brothers in the same family, born into the family of God. They had both met Jesus as the Savior of sinners. But they met him in very different ways. Paul was a scholar of the Old Testament scripture. He had studied the scripture from his earliest days, and he had been to the very best of schools. But after all his study of the word of God, he still did not know what the word of God really meant because it had never brought him to the Savior, who is Jesus He was still a self-righteous Pharisee who believed that he would be saved by his own good works. Epaphroditus, on the other hand, he was a pagan in spiritual darkness. He had never seen a copy of the scripture and he lived in all the wicked ways of that ancient culture. Paul met Jesus in the most dramatic and supernatural way on the road to Damascus when the light shone out of heaven upon Paul and he heard the voice of Jesus speaking to him. Epaphroditus, he met Jesus in what we might call more ordinary ways when the gospel came to him. But Epaphroditus... He heard the same voice of the risen Christ speaking to him in the power of the Spirit through the word of God. We might think, we might think, well, Paul's conversion was more remarkable, dramatic, supernatural. Not really, not really. To take a man like Epaphroditus, a worshiper of false gods, bring him into the kingdom of God, is that any less supernatural? Is that any less remarkable? Every conversion of Jesus is most supernatural. He takes self-righteous Pharisees and saves them. He takes pagans and transfers them into his kingdom. Every conversion of Jesus is most remarkable. And that's what you need here this morning if you are not a Christian. You need to see yourself as a sinner before a holy God who has wrath against your sins and his wrath against your sins is storing up, building up. And the only hope is for you to repent of your sins and turn from them and come to Jesus as the Savior and to be saved by him. Just like Paul did, just like Epaphroditus did, they both came to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul and Epaphroditus here, they they both had very different roles in the kingdom of God as well. Paul was called to be an apostle. He had the highest office in the church. The church is built upon the apostles. That's who Paul was. Epaphroditus, he had no official office in the church. Does not seem to be an elder or deacon at all. 
just an ordinary faithful brother in the church, and yet Paul has this very great affection for him and calls him my brother. What organization do you know of on earth in which the man who is the highest of them all can speak to those who are among the lowest of them all and speak to them in terms of this family affection and call him my brother. It does not exist except in the church. So in the church there is no Jew, there is no Gentile, there is no slave or free man, there are no higher classes, no elites and lower classes of Christians. We are all brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. And so whatever the heritage or past or background may be, the highest goal of everyone in the church should always be to follow and to know Jesus more. This is what Paul says if we turn over to Philippians chapter 3 and verse 7 and 8. And Paul says here in verse 7, he says, whatever things were gained to me, he's speaking about everything that was gained to him uh, from his heritage as a Jew and from his labors as a Pharisee, whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish in order that I may gain Christ So what Paul is saying here, Paul looked back upon his Phariseeism and whatever it was, he counted it all but rubbish to him now that he might know Christ. And Epaphroditus did the very same thing. He looked back on all of his paganism and he counted it rubbish that he might come and know and serve Jesus Christ. So this is the great transformation that takes place in the lives of believers This is what Paul said in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 9. He said, you laid aside your old self with its evil practices. He said, you have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and free man, but Christ is all and in all. And so Paul could call Epaphroditus my brother. We turn back to chapter 2 and verse 25. And Paul says a second thing, a second commendation of him there in verse 25. He calls him my fellow worker, Epaphroditus, my brother, And fellow worker. Now being a brother, being a brother, the first thing he mentions, being a brother in the family leads to the second thing, being a fellow worker in the family. There are no family members who have no work to do in the family of God. Every brother and sister must pull his weight and do his share of work. Every Christian is a worker for Jesus in the kingdom of God with whatever gifts and graces Christ has given to them. When Paul called Epaphroditus, he didn't just, he didn't just say, my worker, because there would have been a word for that, but he puts another preposition in front of it, which means with, 
And that's how we get the word fellow worker. And what he means by that is that not only did he work and did he work hard, but he worked well. And he worked together with others. That's what he meant. He was a team player with, fellow worker with all the other workers in the kingdom of God. And so Epaphroditus was always a man who had cheerful cooperation. He worked in harmony with Paul and others for the sake of the gospel. He was not a lone ranger. He was not a man doing his own thing. He was a humble and faithful servant attitude in him, always willing to do whatever was needed for the good of others and for the glory of Christ. Back in verse 14 of this chapter, Paul says, Do all things without grumbling and complaining or disputing. That's the way Epaphroditus was. It was never anything that was too small for him to do, never anything too mundane. If you gave Epaphroditus something to do and you asked him for some help, you would not find him grumbling and disputing about it. No, he would be cheerfully engaging himself in it. He was a fellow worker, always ready to serve others in whatever way he could. Paul wrote to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 4 and following. He spoke of all the various gifts Given to Christians, he said, there are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. There are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all people. But to each one, he said, is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. And that's what Epaphroditus understood so well, that whatever he was given, It was not given for his own selfish ends, but for the common good of all the other brothers and sisters in the church. And that's what Paul speaks of in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 16. The whole body is held together by that which every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part. The proper working of each individual part. For the building up of the body of Christ in love. So Epaphroditus was a man who understood what this all meant. And he was a fellow worker in the church in Philippi and with the Apostle Paul. A third thing that Paul says of him here in verse 25. That he was a fellow soldier. Epaphroditus a fellow soldier. This is not a title that Paul used very often. It spoke of the spiritual warfare of the Christian life, and every Christian must be engaged in that warfare in this world of evil and sin. The life of a soldier, the life of a soldier, we probably use that word often, and we might think of soldiers, but the life of a soldier was not an easy life, especially in a war, in a time of warfare. The life of a soldier is a life of hardship. The life of a soldier is a life of self-denial. It's a life of danger with others. It's the same little preposition that he uses, not just a soldier, but a fellow soldier. A fellow soldier as he stood in the battles and in the conflict with other brethren. He was a fellow soldier. He had to learn how to take up his weapons and fight the enemy. He had to be strong. He had to be courageous when troubles come and there's 
loss, and we read later that Epaphroditus was willing to risk even his own life for the sake, for the work of Christ. That's the kind of soldier he was. That's the kind of soldier that an army needs. Paul wrote about the spiritual warfare in other passages. Ephesians chapter 6, he spoke about how the spiritual warfare of the Christian is not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual powers of wickedness in the heavenly places. And he told us to take up the full armor of God that we may be able to resist in the evil day and to stand against the schemes of the devil. Paul told Timothy to fight the good fight of faith. And Peter said, we have an adversary, the devil who prowls about, always prowling about the church, seeking someone to devour. Paul knew what it was to endure hardship as a soldier. He wrote of it, for example, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, of his many imprisonments. He said he was beaten with, at times without number. He was often in danger. He said he was in danger from rivers, dangers from robbers. Dangers from his own countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, all of these outward dangers that he spoke of. And then to add to that, he had the daily struggle against temptations, sins, and the power of the evil one, Satan, against him. And yet Paul called Epaphroditus, my fellow soldier. In other words, what he meant was Epaphroditus is a man who is willing to suffer with me in the same way that I suffer for the sake of the gospel. When there are soldiers, when there are soldiers in a warfare, and soldiers who are in a conflict, there is a unity, there is a oneness, there is a willingness to suffer among those soldiers that you will never find anywhere else in the world. Because each soldier must depend upon the other soldiers to be with them. If there is one soldier who is going off and seeking his own safety, his own comfort and his own ease, that endangers the entire unit. And that's what Paul was saying here with Epaphroditus. Whenever I turned, there he was. And he was my fellow soldier in whatever conflict I faced for the sake of the gospel. And Paul goes on later to say that he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his own life. For that cause. So, whatever difficulties and dangers that Epaphroditus faced, he was not concerned about his own self. He was concerned to complete the work that he was sent to do. We find the same attitude in the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts, chapter 20, and verse 24. And Paul said to the Ephesians, He said, I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself in order that I may finish my course and the ministry which I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. Nero was the emperor at the time. It was a dangerous time for Christians. 
especially in the city of Rome, and especially for anyone who would come and be associated with the Apostle Paul who was in the Nero's prison. Nero was an irrational kind of a person, and if Nero suddenly came to the decision that it should be the end of the Apostle Paul, it would probably be not just the end of him, but anyone else who associated with him. And so Epaphroditus, in going to Rome and ministering to Paul, he had to face that danger, and yet that danger did not deter him from carrying out the work. Some, some might think today, well, Epaphroditus was a little bit extreme, maybe. You know, he, maybe he went too far now. He's risking his life. Here's a man actually going to risk his life and go and visit somebody in the prison. But that's not true because what Epaphroditus did is what every Christian should be willing to do for his brothers and sisters in Christ. Jesus said, if anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself. Let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. What is the cross? The cross is an instrument of death. And that's what the Christian life is. It is a daily taking up an instrument of death and self-denial to serve Christ. That's what Epaphroditus was, a fellow soldier with Jesus. And John put it this way. In 1 John 3 and verse 16, he said, We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. So what was happening with Epaphroditus when he was willing to risk his life to serve the Apostle Paul? It was nothing that should not be expected of every other Christian. One hundred years ago, there was a, a missionary, an English missionary to Africa. His name was C.T. Studd. And he called Christians in his day, he called them chocolate Christians. And he called them that because they melt whenever the heat is turned up and there's some trial and struggle in the church. They seem to melt away. C.T. Studd said, he said, God has never been a chocolate manufacturer and he never will be. So, brethren, let us not be chocolate Christians, but let us be strong Christians in the grace and strength of our Lord Jesus Christ. The writer to the book of Hebrews, he said in chapter 12 and verse 4, he said, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. And that was supposed to be an encouragement to them. And they had things very hard there. They were under intense persecution. They were losing so much. And this was the encouragement to them that however bad things seem to be, they could be much worse. And take this as your encouragement that you have not yet shed blood for the sake of striving in the Christian life. So Epaphroditus, he was a man who knew the strength and grace of Jesus and he persevered in living and doing good for others. Paul had his Epaphroditus, and I believe I have mine here as well. The fourth thing Paul said in verse 25, he said of Epaphroditus, who is your messenger, 
Now the word messenger there, it speaks of, it's the word that's more commonly translated apostle. The word actually means one who is sent on a mission. And it's used here not in the technical sense of the apostles of Christ, the 12 apostles. They were unique in their office, but it, it is used here in a more general, ordinary sense of one who is sent. And so he was a messenger, of an apostle sent by the Philippian church. He was sent with the financial gift to the apostle Paul in Rome. And so Epaphroditus, he had to have honesty, integrity. He had to be trustworthy that they could send him and he would accomplish the mission of bringing their gift. And then the last thing he says there in verse 25 of him is that he is your minister to my need. Whatever financial need Paul may have needed in the prison, but it means other things as well, whatever clothing perhaps he needed or perhaps he had some physical needs that needed to be cared for, personal encouragement about the work of the gospel back in Philippi, whatever it was, a variety of things, Epaphroditus was always there to minister to the needs of the Apostle Paul. That word minister is a special word because it really speaks of ministering as a priest in the temple. That's the way Paul used it of himself. He said in Romans chapter 15, he said, I was ministering as a priest the gospel of God. It's used in Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 2, where Christ is a minister in the sanctuary and in the true tabernacle. So what this tells us is that this is how Epaphroditus viewed all of his labor, that he was ministering, not just on a human level, but he was ministering to the Lord himself in heaven. The highest motive of all, to minister. Yes, he was A minister to my need, Paul says, but he was a minister as well to the Lord in everything that he did. We notice in verse 25 that little word and throughout the verse. Paul says, I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, and fellow worker, and fellow soldier, who is also, meaning and, your messenger and minister to my need. So what Paul is saying here is that Epaphroditus was all of these things at the same time. He was not just one or two of these things and then he neglected all the others. No, he did all of these things at the same time. He was this well-rounded Christian, a true believer, brother in Christ, a fellow worker, a soldier, a messenger, a minister to Paul's needs. Then beginning in verse 26, Paul explains why he sent Epaphroditus back to them. He says, because he was longing for you all, he was longing for you all, and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed he was sick to the point of death. Now in verse 26, that word distressed He was distressed because you had heard. That word is the same word that is used of Jesus when he entered the Garden of Gethsemane in chapter 26 of Matthew's Gospel. He began to be grieved and distressed. Same word. Could be translated that he was distraught when he heard about the Philippians 
being anxious for him. It speaks of his intense grief, his great concern, his very deep desire for them. The reason why Epaphroditus felt this deep inward anxiety was because the Philippians had heard that he was sick and they were anxious over him. And so he became distressed over them being anxious and so concerned about him. And what does this show us? It shows us the great love and concern which Epaphroditus had for his own brethren back in the church in Philippi. His response to their distress was to have even greater distress over them and to long for them to be relieved of their distress. Epaphroditus, he had become very ill in the city of Rome. He was at the point of death. He was knocking on death's door. But the worst part of his sickness was not his own sickness, but his concern for his brethren back in Philippi. What an amazing thing. What an amazing selflessness and concern for the brethren in his own church that this brother had. He was the one at the point of death. Most people, they get, they get sick like this and the only thing they care about is themselves. Not Epaphroditus. He was concerned about the other brethren over in the church. His great concern was not for himself or even for his own recovery, but for the relief of the distress of his own church back in Philippi. So he's an example to us of selflessness. And if you look back to this chapter back in verses 3 and 4, look at what Paul says in verse 3. He says to the Philippian church, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. That's what Epaphroditus was doing He was regarding other brethren as even more important than himself. And he says in verse 4, he says, Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. That's what he was doing when he was laying on that near deathbed. He was looking out for the personal interests, not just of himself, but for others. The Roman church was 800 miles away. Epaphroditus could have easily said, well, they're out of, out of sight, out of mind, and I won't even think about them. But he couldn't get them out of his mind because of his love and great affection for his brethren back there. But Christians need to think about this. Too often Christians do whatever they want to do, and Christians, they don't even think about the brethren in their church and what distress they might cause them. They don't even give it a thought that the members of their church might have distress over them and the way and the things that they do. Epaphroditus lived out these things. What he was doing is he was living out the command of Jesus in John chapter 13 and verse 34. 
Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Even as I have also loved you, that you love one another. He said, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And so this love here between Epaphroditus and the church in Philippi went both ways. He was greatly concerned for them, had love for them, they for him. It was mutual. That all the members should have the same care for one another. So that, as Paul says, if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. And that's the way it ought to be. So what I'm saying to you, all of us here, and myself as well, is that in everything that we do, we should not just be thinking about ourselves and our own personal interests, but we should be looking out and thinking about others, especially the members of our church, and what effect it has on them. Epaphroditus was recovered from his illness. Paul says at the end of verse 27, he's thankful for it. He says, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. He means lest I, the sorrow of my imprisonment should have this added sorrow of the death of such a good man as Epaphroditus. Then beginning of verse 28, he says, therefore, I have sent him all the more eagerly in order that when you see him again, When you see him again, you may rejoice, and I may be less concerned about you. So we can imagine the scene that took place here. Paul sent Epaphroditus from Rome back home to Philippi to relieve the distress of the brethren in Philippi. And he sent him back with this letter. And Epaphroditus traveled those many hundreds of miles from Rome back to Philippi. And they had no modern communication like we do today, where there were instant messages sent from one part of the world to another. Nothing like that even existed. And the last thing that the Philippians had heard about their beloved brother Epaphroditus was that Epaphroditus was in Rome and he was on the verge of death. That's the last they heard about him. And they had no idea of his recovery. But imagine the joy and the thanksgiving on that one day when the ship pulled in to Philippi, something that they could never have imagined happened. Epaphroditus walks off that ship in full health and recovery from his deathly illness that he had in Rome. Or perhaps he walked into the church worship service as they were gathered on the Lord's Day. And there comes Epaphroditus. They thought perhaps he was dead. Now he is living and he is full of life. And what rejoicing they would have had in that church. And that was Paul's intention. In what he says in verse 28, he said, Therefore I have sent him all the more eagerly in order that when you see him again, you may rejoice, and I may be less concerned about you. He says, therefore, receive him in the Lord with all joy and hold men like him in high regard because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his own life to complete what was deficient in your service. 
When Paul says, what was deficient in your service, he doesn't mean that they were lacking anything. What he means was they were so far away from him in Rome that for all practical purposes, there was really nothing that they could do. But they did everything that they could do. They sent Epaphroditus with the gift and to minister to his needs. And now Paul, everything his need, everything that they should have done, it was now complete. Epaphroditus. He came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his own life. And we'll talk more about that later, Lord willing, after lunch. Let's pray together. Father and God in heaven, we do thank you for such a, an amazing, wonderful example of one of your ordinary servants. Thank you for our brother Epaphroditus. We pray that you would have great mercy upon us. And you would forgive us of everything in us that is so contrary to who he was. We pray that you would remove it. We pray that you would give us the Holy Spirit and make us more like him and more like our Lord Jesus Christ. Have mercy upon us now. Bless your word to us and use it for our good and our strengthening in the Christian life. Help us to be Brothers and sisters in Christ, help us to be fellow workers, fellow soldiers with one another, and help us to do your will. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.